Happy Easter Liquid Church. Good to see you guys. Yeah, let's welcome all of our campuses joining us today. My name is Tim, and uh, I have the privilege of serving as the, uh, the senior pastor of the church, and uh, we actually have multiple locations. We have six locations, soon to be seven, uh, across the state of New Jersey, and so they're joining us on the big screen. Glad you are, especially if you're in overflow. Thank you for your flexibility. Uh, just so you guys know, in Parsippany, we are going to be doubling our parking this summer, so you're not going to have as, yeah, give God a praise. That's a miracle. That's <laughs> New Jersey. Hey, also let you know, your kids are in good hands. I actually, before I came on, I just popped my head in one of our liquid family classrooms, and one of the teachers said, it looked like a group of fourth grade girls or so, she said, uh, hey, who knows what makes Easter Sunday so special? And one of your kids actually said, oh, Easter is the day that Jesus walked out of the grave. And like, awesome. But then she said, and if he sees his shadow, he has to go back in <laughs> for seven weeks. So we're gonna clear some things up about Easter today, all right? Now listen, uh, here, here's what's going on here. Um, for the last, um, seven weeks, we've been taking a virtual tour of the Holy Land. Uh, my wife Colleen and I went to Israel in January, and we visited uh, many of the places where Jesus lived and taught, where he had his ministry headquarters, uh, befriended sinners, performed miracles. We're kind of walking in his footsteps, following the gospel of Mark. We're saying, hey, he wasn't a myth, a legend. There's historical, factual, archaeological evidence for Jesus. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like we're piecing together a puzzle or a mosaic of Jesus of Nazareth. We're trying to get this complete picture of this rabbi from Galilee whose life, death, and resurrection really changed history. Uh, and every week, our picture of Jesus is becoming more and more clear. So if it's your first time, you're like hopping on the tour bus at the very end, but it's the best spot to go, okay? So I'm glad you're here. What we did is last Sunday, we actually visited Jerusalem, which is the, uh, the capital city there where Jesus spent the last week of his life, what we call Holy Week, and we hiked up the Mount of Olives, where Jesus made his triumphal entry into the city riding a what? White stallion. No, yeah, a donkey. He was wearing a donkey because he wanted to show what kind of humble king he was, come to serve his people. Uh, we went to the upper room. We looked at where Jesus shared the Last Supper with the disciples, um, he took bread and communion. It's so interesting. Like, Christian faith has these Jewish roots. They were celebrating the Passover, and he took the ordinary bread and wine, and he said, actually, this represents my body and my blood. Yeah, so this is where we get Christian communion or the Eucharist from. And then we walked to the Garden of Gethsemane, the original Olive Garden. Not like you're thinking, but the Garden of Gethsemane was full of these ancient, old, gnarled olive trees, and this is the place where Jesus prayed three times that the cup of suffering would pass from him. He didn't want to go through the cross. And so he prayed to his, his father. He said, not, to, not my will be done, but what? Your will be done. And he did that, guys, out of love for you. In that garden, Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross in the place of my children. And he was betrayed by Judas. He was arrested by the religious leaders. And then he was sentenced to death. Death on a Roman cross. And this is really the painful part. Because we walked down the Via Dolorosa, which means the way of sorrows or the road of pain. This is actually a narrow street that snakes its way through Jerusalem. In fact, take a look at this. On Good Friday, two nights ago, this is the scene there, okay? You had thousands of pilgrims uh, from around the world. They pour in every, uh, every Good Friday to walk down the Via Dolorosa. They carry a 75-pound cross down the route that Jesus carried his own cross all the way to Golgotha. That's the historical place 
where Jesus was crucified, where he died, and where he was buried. And wouldn't it be tragic if this is where our journey ends, right? The tragic story of another innocent life lost. I don't know if you saw this morning, there were bombings of churches in Sri Lanka, over 200 uh, Christians dead who were, were celebrating Easter. But we live in a world of, of death and darkness and violence, and this would have just been another senseless tragedy in a tragic world. But notice, there's a missing piece of the puzzle. My friends, this is the final and most important stop on our spiritual pilgrimage. Because today is Resurrection Sunday, and today we're going to go to the empty tomb. Make some noise if you're excited to see the empty tomb. This is where, now this, this is where your God turns tragedy into triumph. Amen? Jesus was not a victim. He was victorious. And on Easter Sunday, he conquered Satan's sin, death, and hell by rising from the dead, proving he's the Son of God and Savior of the world. You guys want to go see the empty tomb? You ready to go? All right, here we go. Let's go. Put on your wings. We're going to fly around the world across Africa, across the Middle East, thanks to Google Earth, all the way to Israel, Jerusalem. I want to go to the church of the Holy Sepulcher, or tomb. This is actually the holiest site in Christianity. I know, you thought it was New Jersey, but it's actually in Jerusalem. This is the oldest traditional site of Jesus' resurrection. And the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is believed to actually be built on Calvary or, or Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, and be the location of the empty tomb where he was raised to life. Now, what's interesting here is geographically, the location of the church matches the details of the Bible. It's just outside the first century walls in Jerusalem. And uh, at the time of Jesus' trial, the Romans used the cemetery underneath it for crucifying Jewish criminals. I'm going to show you this in a minute. Now, when Colleen and I visited in January, you can take a look. Thousands of Christians, uh, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Armenian, were flooding into the church. You can see it's actually very ornamental. It's decorative, covered with like artwork and ancient icons. Um, but what I want to show you is in the entrance. Take a look at this. This is a stone slab. That's known as the stone of anointing, where tradition says Jesus' body was prepared for burial. So Christians come in, they worship, they pray, they kneel, they kiss the stone, they thank God for his sacrifice on the cross. But then if you go upstairs, look at this. This is the altar of Golgotha. And so pilgrims come in, they have to kneel down, and they can actually touch the rock. You can put your hand where the stone split where Jesus' cross was between two thieves. But the most dramatic part is this small ornate building it's known as the edicule and tradition says this is the tomb of jesus and you're like well that's a lot of swag for a you know a tomb uh yeah this was all added on okay now see all for me i'll be honest all those ornate columns you know and candles and incense the gold stuff you know it, it's it was a little overwhelming for me uh, because it's beautiful but in a very like you know formal museum-like way but the reality is, if you read the account of Easter, it's a lot more down to earth. As earthy as this garden tomb, the second site believed to be the possible location of Jesus' resurrection. So I want to kind of open our Bibles and read the original account here of Easter weekend from the Gospel of Mark. Because there's some very tantalizing clues that connect with archaeology so that your faith is not based on emotion, it's based actually even on facts. This happens just after Jesus' crucifixion. Here's what Mark 15 says. We'll put the verses up so you can read along on the side screen. It says, the death of Jesus happened on Friday. So that was Good Friday, right? The day of preparation. 
What are they preparing for? The day before the Sabbath, Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, can you say that? Arimathea, he took a risk. And he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Now, Joseph was an honorable member of the high council, that's the Sanhedrin, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Now, let me be very clear about this, okay, to prevent confusion. This is not Joseph, Jesus' adopted father. This is a guy named Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy follower of Jesus. He was a member of the religious council. Most of them were jealous of Jesus. But Joseph of Arimathea followed Jesus secretly from afar. And when he saw Jesus die innocently on that cross, he wanted to give him a proper burial before the Jewish Sabbath. So he got up his courage, and he goes and he asked Pilate, the Roman governor, can I take Jesus' body and bury it in a garden tomb? Verse 44 says, Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead. So he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was in fact dead. So there's military confirmation. So Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth. And then he took Jesus' body down from the cross. He wrapped it in the cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Now this is important. Because the tomb where Joseph laid Jesus' body was probably a man-made cave carved out of the limestone cliffs in the area of Golgotha. In fact, check this out. There's a mosaic inside the Church of the Holy Sepulchre that kind of shows you the details we just read. Here you have Jesus' body, obviously. Joseph has wrapped it in a linen cloth. You'll see over here, here are his female followers. They're weeping, they're crying, uh, they're mourning. And this guy with the white beard... That's probably Joseph of Arimathea. And so it says that they actually, notice they wrapped him in this cloth, and then they're placing his body, carrying it to this cave cut out of the rocky hillside. Now notice something. The cave only has one entrance. There is no exit. Because at this point, nobody in history has ever walked out of the grave yet, okay? It says, then Joseph rolled the stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. Now, this, my friends, gets interesting, because this is where ancient archaeology intersects with the Bible in a fascinating way. Because deep below the church, archaeologists found ancient graffiti, thousands of crosses carved into stone beneath the church before the church was ever built. In fact, there is a ship that has been drawn by a pilgrim from Europe with the Latin graffiti, O Lord, we have come to worship him. And it suggests early Christians worshiped at this site long before the church was ever built. Most intriguing, though, is that underneath the church are these ancient tombs. Take a look. This is actually a Jewish cemetery dating back to the first century. They're actually cut and carved into a rocky hill known as Golgotha. And most archaeologists, almost all scholars agree, this was a Jewish cemetery active at the time of Jesus. Fascinating, right? Now, ultimately, archaeology can't prove that Jesus was buried in this precise location 2,000 years ago. But watch this. The Bible gives another clue about what took place that Easter morning. It says, the next day on the Sabbath, so now it's Saturday, yesterday, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate, the Roman governor. They told them, sir, we remember 
what that deceiver said once while he was still alive. After three days, I will what? Rise from, rise from what? All right. So we request, now watch this, that you seal the tomb until the third day. All right, this is going to keep his disciples from coming, stealing his body, and then blabbing to everybody that he was raised from the dead. Because if that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Now, now this is kind of ironic. Because this is Jesus' enemies, right? The Pharisees and stuff. They actually took his promise of resurrection more seriously than his own disciples did. The Pharisees are like, ah, we remember what that, uh, that, uh, that you know, um, blasphemer said. He said that three days later, I'm going to rise. And we can't let that happen. They were afraid of fake news, okay? They're like, they're like we, we don't want fake news. We don't want a resurrection hoax. Okay, we don't want a Mueller report. We don't want any of it. Uh, the worst that happens, someone steals the body, then they're going to be like, oh, he's alive. And it'll just feel bad for all of us. So the church and the state conspire, and they ask Pilate, seal the tomb for three days. And how does Pilate respond? I mean, he's a good politician. I think he responds with what's the funniest verse in the entire Bible. Pilate replied, all right, take guards and secure it the best you can. Like, good luck with that, bro, you know? So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Now, the way Romans sealed a tomb is they put an iron spike, a pin on this side, another iron pin on this side to hold the stone in place. Then they strung a cord across, blocking the entrance, and they sealed it with an official Roman stamp. And the law said if anyone messes with it, they could be executed on the spot. On top of that, Mark says they posted a Roman guard here and a Roman guard here. Pilate said, take guards, you're taking security guards, and I want you to secure this the best you can. P.S., just time out. How many of you know there ain't no security guards, there ain't no mall cops who's going to stop the Son of God from walking out of this grave, amen? Give him a praise if you believe it. That's true. What we're doing here, watch this. We're piecing together a puzzle. On Friday, Jesus was buried, day one. Suddenly, uh, uh, the next day, Saturday, the tomb is sealed, day two. But get ready for day three. Here's how Mark says it went down. Saturday night, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, three women, went out, and what did they purchase? Burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. And this is actually sweet. This is a this is a sign of their love for Jesus. The modern equivalent is like bringing flowers to the grave of a loved one. Have you ever visited a cemetery and you put flowers on someone's grave? That's what they're trying to do here, basically. But note, and there's a reason for that, by the way. P.S. Time out. First century, totally patriarchal culture. Jesus empowered women. Amen? They were part of his inner circle. And these women loved him. But they faced these big obstacles. They're like, we got Roman guards. We got this huge rock. But their love for Jesus compelled them to go. It says very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, now who's going to roll the stone away <laughs> for us at the entrance to the grave? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been what? Rolled aside. Now, now what does this mean? Again, this is where the facts of archaeology confirms the faith of believers. In the 1800s, a discovery was made that rocked Jerusalem. A second location was discovered as the potential site of Jesus' garden tomb. There's a British leader, his name was uh, General Charles Gordon, and he went to live in Jerusalem. 
And General Gordon was a student of scripture, and he stood atop the north wall of the old city of Jerusalem. And when he looked out, this is what he saw. This is actually a historical photograph. This rocky hill, which he said, if you look at it, right over in this region, kind of is similar to the face of a skull. Now look carefully at this, this photo, right? You see, uh, just to orient you down here, you see a pack of camels kind of going down the main road. But if you look at this area in the hillside, notice you kind of see the face of a human skull. Do you see it? Let me pull it closer for you, okay? Do you see it now? Yeah? Two eye sockets, nose, and a mouth. And some of you are like, okay, that's a little freaky. Uh, what's the big deal? What does the Bible tell us? You remember last week? It says they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means, what's it say, church? The place of the skull. Golgotha is the Aramaic word for skull, and it likely refers to the shape of the hill where Jesus was crucified and buried. So I was like, let's go. In Jerusalem, we visited the sacred site, and it's very compelling. Erosion has worn it away, but when you look at it, you can literally see the face of a skull in the hillside today. It's very obvious, it's very clear, and it's extremely powerful. And General Gordon was the first to say this is the site of historic Golgotha. It's not the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. And there's a lot of evidence, actually, to back up that claim. The site is right alongside the main Roman road where all the Romans carried out the crucifixions of criminals. Why? Because we know they wanted all the travelers passing by. They're cruising on their camel. They drop into fifth gear. They want them to look up and see, oh, this is what Rome does to would-be rebels. Secondly, as archaeologists excavated this Skull Hill area, they discovered an ancient garden tomb dating back to the 7th and 8th century BC. In other words, 700 years before Christ was even born. This is a picture of it. It is a rock-cut tomb carved into this beautiful, very peaceful garden. It's at the base of Skull Hill. It's very evocative of the setting you read here in the Bible. It actually has a giant cistern for watering the garden. It's got a wine press. We know it was a rich man's garden. Joseph Arimathea was very wealthy. So this tomb, guys, is biblically authentic. And General Gordon was the first to say, this is the Protestant alternative to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. So if you're kind of Eastern in your faith, or, or Catholics would prefer the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, and Protestants would say the garden tomb. I was like, let's just visit both of them, okay? Let me tell you something. You walk into this garden, you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. The garden tomb is a deeply sacred site where you can imagine the events of Easter unfolding. Happy Easter, guys. I'm here in Jerusalem at the garden tomb. This is the traditional site where Jesus Christ was crucified and buried, but more importantly, raised from the dead. Come on, I wanna show you the great hope we have as his followers today. This is the actual cave that they discovered in the garden, reportedly to be of Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man who was a follower of Christ. Pilgrims from all over the world come here to see where Christ laid. But you know what? The most important thing is, he's not in there. He has risen, and so will you because of your faith in him.
You know, the truth is, guys, whether it's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or the Garden Tomb, it's kind of irrelevant. The big idea is the tomb is empty. Amen? So what happened here on Easter morning? What exactly went down? Well, Mark reports very early on Sunday morning, around sunrise, they went to the tomb on the way. They're saying, who's going to roll away the stone from the entrance? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone which was very large, had already been what? Rolled aside. When the women entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. But news alert, he ain't here. <laughs> he is what? Risen from the... Look, this is where they laid his body. Now, believe it or not, I actually snapped this photo of the garden tomb with my iPhone. Not bad, right? Come on, let's hear your iPhone. All right. Now, here's, here's what's kind of fun about it. You can actually see some biblical clues for its authenticity. For instance, notice here at the bottom, do you see what this is? Yeah, this is a trench. It's a trough. It's a stone groove for a rock, a giant rock, to be rolled in front of it. Let me illustrate how this may have worked. Notice in this picture here, there is a track where a large round rock most likely would have been. But if you zoom in, you'll actually see what appears to be the Roman seal. This is a sheared off iron pin that was completely sheared off somehow. They're not sure how. And the stone would have been rolled in front of the tomb with pins sealing it in both places. And then it would have been had the Roman seal put across it. Looked probably something like this. So this garden tomb, understand it can, what it contains. An authentic, carbon-dated, biblical tomb, a, a, a giant trough for rolling a huge stone, an iron pin that the Romans manufactured that's been sheared off. I want you to listen how the Gospel of Matthew, eyewitness account, describes the details. It says in the Gospel of Matthew, after the Sabbath on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at Jesus' tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards became so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. They saw him die on that cross. Do you hear the birds chirping? It's glorious. He said, he is not here, for he has risen just as he said. He promised it, he predicted it, he did it. Then go quickly and see the place where he lay and go tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. And now I've told you. Church, if Jesus Christ predicts his own death, burial, and resurrection after three days, and it happens historically right here, you can bet your life it's gonna to happen to you. Apostle Paul says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is futile. You are still in your sins, but indeed Christ has been raised, the first of all who believe. Praise God on Easter. He is the resurrection and the life. Let's give him a praise if you believe it, church. Here's the thing, the good news is this. On Easter, we don't worship a dead grave. We worship a living Lord who walked out of that grave. It's Easter, guys. We got to praise God. We have a God of hope. We serve a living Savior. Understand something. Confucius didn't walk out of a grave. Buddha never walked out of a grave. 
Muhammad didn't walk out of the grave. Only Jesus Christ of Nazareth walked out of a grave. I hope you understand this. It's what makes Christianity unique among anything else. I hope someday you get to visit Jerusalem. Actually go inside the empty tomb yourself and see where Jesus' body may have laid. You'll actually see this ancient Byzantine cross uh, and it has on it the letters for Jesu Christo, Jesus Christ, and, the, and the, the Greek symbols, it's fascinating, for Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And of course, what I love most is the humble, simple sign on the door that says, let's say it together, he is not here, for he is, he is what? He's what? Friends, on Easter Sunday, you are surrounded by people of the resurrection. People who don't just believe this reality, we are actually banking our lives on it. See, the, the, the resurrection is the, the linchpin of the Christian faith. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, everything else is foolishness. Think of what this proves. The most important thing it proves is that Jesus kept his promise to rise from the dead. You know what that means for you? You can have 100% confidence in his promise to return and resurrect you as well. It means death is not the end in this life. It proves there is life after death. There is eternal life with Jesus in heaven and a reunion for all who believe. In other words, guys, death is now temporary. The worst thing is not the final thing. Death never has the final word. The Bible says that same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And so God can bring your spiritually dead self back to life. So understand what I'm talking about here. We're not studying stories about some good teacher. We are declaring the reality of a risen Lord who's alive. Jesus said, I'm alive and I'm coming again to take everybody who believes home with me to heaven. Guys, that's the hope we have. Do you have that hope? That's hope. Listen to me. That's a promise. And it's the only promise in life that comforts those who are in pain at Easter. Maybe you're here today and Easter's a little bit of a painful time for you. Last week on my Instagram feed, a friend from college popped up. Uh, her name is Jody Blick. She's a classmate of mine. That's a picture of her with her son Jackson, who is, well, he would have been 22 years old on April 12th. But six years ago, Jackson was in a car accident the week that he got his driver's license. He was actually in the car celebrating with a couple high school buddies, and it flipped over, killing him instantly on his birthday week. You know, I just like, it's just stunning, like even to say that. As a parent, there's no words for that. I, I, for the pain. For the, for the black wall of grief and shock and heartache when you lose a child so tragically. But Jody is a follower of Jesus, and Jackson believed in Jesus too. And so last week she posted this photo, and, and here's what she wrote. She said, Jackson would have been 22 today. Oh, what I wouldn't give to have him here, to, to see him now, to have more years to mother him, to continue to learn from him, to have more time together as a family. But even in the midst of our pain and sadness, we know Jax is with Jesus, where we long to be. So through tears, I can't help but praise God for the hope and joy of heaven on this conflicting day. We're, we're one day closer ourselves, and I can't wait for every tear to be wiped away and everything wrong to be made right. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. Hashtag fighting for joy, grieving with hope, missing 
Jackson, do you understand what difference the reality of the resurrection makes to a grieving mother? The pain, guys, of this broken life is only healed by the promise of Easter. So I just want to take a moment as your pastor to speak a word of comfort and hope to those of you who, who've lost loved ones. Maybe you're here today and you've lost a son or a daughter or a baby. You lost your mom, your dad or grandparents, one of your siblings who've trusted in Jesus. On Easter, guys, the empty tomb guarantees one day you will have a family reunion. A reunion with those you love and those you loved who love Jesus. I think of my dad who passed away six years ago, right around Easter time, and so it just always brings that up for me. He, my, my father loved the Lord. He taught me about Jesus, and I, I just miss him, you know? I miss grandma. I miss grandpa, you know, who loved Jesus. I, I know I'm going to see them again. I know where they are, and I know when Jesus returns, he's going to wipe away every tear, raise the dead, and we'll be reunited together with him in heaven forever. That's the hope you have at Easter, church. Can I ask, do you have that hope of sins forgiven, of knowing the guarantee of heaven when you die? The Bible says, if Christ wasn't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration... For a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But here's the truth. I want to read this out loud. Come on, church, big voice. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. Do you understand the power of that promise? Easter means the death of death. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Easter is the day death died forever. And when Jesus walked out of this tomb, he flung open the door to eternal life for anyone who'd believe. Amen? Amen. Guys, it's, yeah, give him praise. That's amazing. We praise you, God, for that. We give God praise. We, it's, it's, what, it's what made Paul practically sing. But Paul sung, he said, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not a victim. In Christ, you have victory. Death is defeated. Life is eternal. And nothing in heaven or earth can separate you from the love of your living Lord. Do you know what's happening right now on Easter morning in the holy city in Jerusalem? Guys, right now, followers of Christ from all over the globe are flooding in to the tomb to celebrate the reality of the resurrection. In fact, right now at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, one of the oldest rituals in Orthodox Christianity is happening. It's called the Ceremony of the Holy Fire. Pilgrims pack around Jesus' tomb until the patriarch, that is the church leader, he emerges from the tomb waving two flaming candles, which represent the power of the Holy Spirit. And that holy flame passes from pilgrim to pilgrim to pilgrim until the entire church is filled with the light of Christ. That's what's happening in Jerusalem right now. It's Easter morning, and the sun has risen. You know, as I watched that ancient tradition, I thought, man, could we do that at liquid, but like in a modern way, you know? I mean, I know you don't have a candle, but I'm guessing you have a cell phone. Everyone got a cell phone? Go ahead, take out your cell phone. I want you to turn on the flashlight. I'm going to turn on my flashlight. Hold it up when you got your flashlight on. Turn on it, okay? 
Awesome, awesome. Just hold it up. All our campuses, come on, hold up high. Oh, I love it. Okay, that's, that's a lot of light. All right, cool. Now, here's what I want to do at our campuses. I want to dim the lights just a minute. Would you dim the lights? And I want you to keep your flashlight on, but I want you to hide it right now. Hold it to your chest. I don't want to see any lights, okay? Just keep it, keep it going. No, you're right in the back. Light down. There you go. All right. <laughs> now, watch. I want you to raise your light if you've lost somebody you love this past year. And you're trusting in Jesus' resurrection to see them again someday. I want you now to raise your light. If you have a family member who died, but they were trusting Jesus as their Savior, and so you know where they are. You know their home in heaven with the living God, safe in the arms of Jesus. I love it. I want you to raise your light right now if you're a follower of Jesus, and you say, I know Jesus is alive because I've met the guy. He's changed my life. I put my trust in his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. He's my living Lord and coming King. Guys, I, I wish you could see what I see. Would you just look around you? This is beautiful. That's beautiful. Look at that's, that's a lot of faith and hope filling up this church. Now, I understand you may be here today, and you may have doubts. You, you know, you haven't lit the flame of faith yet in your life, but I, I think today's your day. <laughs> I think God is literally lighting up in the darkness and inviting you to believe in Jesus Christ. Because he's more than, a uh, more than a carpenter, guys. He's more than a rabbi. Jesus is a living Lord, and he wants to be your personal Savior. H how do you do that? How do you receive the gift of salvation? The Bible says very simply, and this is a promise, so I want to read it out loud with conviction, church. Let's do it out loud in a big, loud voice. Here we go. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You will be saved. You'll be saved. Today's a day of salvation for some of you. If that's you and you don't know for sure that you've had your sins forgiven, you want the hope of heaven when you die. Today on Easter, I want you to raise your light right now to publicly declare Jesus is Lord. That you believe he was raised from the dead. Look at these lights, church. Come on. I love it. I love it. Beautiful. Let's just bow our heads right now to pray. Father, we thank you in this moment. We're raising our lights. Let them be seen, Father God. The glory that poured out of that tomb, let it radiate on us right now. Father, hear our prayers. All our campuses, as we're bowing our heads, I want you to pray out loud after me. Let's do this together. A sign of unity. Just pray these words. Ready? Here we go. Father, thank you for the hope of Easter. Today I believe Jesus is the Lord. I ask you to be my savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Forgive me. Jesus, I believe God raised you from the dead. So come into my heart. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you. Thank you for the hope of heaven and the promise of eternal life. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Church.